Good morning. I love getting the opportunities to be down here with you guys, um, and I also love uh, the opportunities we have when our elementary kids get to join us uh, in our service. Um, I think it's so important for our kids to uh, experience with us as often as we can um, this. And, and I think, you know, as much fun as we have upstairs kind of separated, it's just a neat opportunity uh, for them. But also what you guys witnessed this morning, what, what joy it brings us to see uh, really the future church uh, and, and really, as we leave the church or we pass the church kind of on to them, uh, it, it helps us to know we're leaving it in good hands, doesn't it? Uh, it's such a sweet thing. And, and just, uh, you know, as you prepare for a sermon, um, it really doesn't hit until you, you hear a worship song and you hear the worship team kind of prepare your own heart, and then it hits you as well. So, um, you know, this morning as, as Heather sang that, I think there's a lot of heaviness uh, right now. I mean, this week has been tough for a lot of people. I know some tough funerals and um, just some, some tough traveling um, and things that it had happened. And, you know, I know we all are kind of um, coming to this morning with all different uh, th- things on our plates. But I, I just, uh, I can't help but w- when she sang that hit that, I thought, oh man, I better get it together. I'm gonna have to walk up front and speak, so I better get myself together. But just what the enemy meant for evil, God can take it and use it for good. And, and really, that's, that's this week. That's this holy week that we're getting ready to, uh, to start at Palm Sunday, you know, the, the beginning of that. But um, so this is the start of that holy week. And it's a time when we, um, we take a deep look at the end of Jesus' earthly life and the end of his earthly ministry. But it's also a time that we take kind of a personal look at our own lives. And, and, and we take that personal look um, to remind us of what Jesus Uh, sacrificed for each and every one of us and the suffering that he endured so that we don't have to. And and I really, that's what this Holy Week is about. Um, And why, even when the enemy throws evil at us, even when this world throws evil at us, the the reason we can still have joy and hope is because we know what's coming next Sunday. Amen. We know that next Sunday is Easter. We know that that is the, the time we celebrate when Jesus conquered once and for all sin and death itself. And because of that, the hope we have um, is why we come every week. It's why we let this scripture written across thousands of years and thousands of years ago, we let it transform our lives is because we know the hope that, that it offers uh, when this world lets us down. And so I hope this morning, um, I hope this morning is, means as much to you uh, as it did for me preparing it. I, I, we are in week 31 of our Core 52 series. And, and, um, and actually what's really neat about our scripture today is it falls just after uh, what you just witnessed our kids uh, reenacting was that Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, right? The triumphal entry as king, maybe not king as they hoped, many of them, but he rode into Jerusalem and they were throwing their palm leaves, their, their cloaks, anything they could throw on the ground as Jesus entered so that he could, um, that he could walk across. That was in Mark chapter 11. Um, and we also, it, this happened as Jesus kind of left the city, it was getting late, and he went um, out into Bethany. And in Bethany, um, this is, if you remember, when Jesus uh, passes a fig tree. And that fig tree uh, was green and leafy, but it didn't have any fruit. It didn't have any fruit because it wasn't season for ripe fig fruit. Jesus knew that, but Jesus curses the fruit, uh, curses the fig tree. And um, this is important uh, as they stay out late that night and the next morning they return to the the temple. And in this return, this is when uh, Jesus 
flips over uh, the money changer tables. He um, flips over the tables where they were selling doves, which were supposed to be a sacrificial offering uh, made to, to atone for their sins, and they were making a mockery of it. Here's a couple dollars for you to, to sacrifice your dove, um, you know, if, on, to, 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 I don't know, to be made right from your sin, but they were making a mockery of it. He also flipped... Uh, this is a this this anger that's welling up, and this is righteous anger. This isn't uh, me throwing a fit about something that doesn't go my way. This is him saying he drives out the money changers. He he basically tells them that you're making this in, as a out to be a den for robbers. This is supposed to be a place of prayer for all nations, and you've turned it into a den for robbers. And, and I'm sure at this point Jesus has tears streaming down his face streaming down his face as he's um, riding into Jerusalem. Even those cheering for him, many of those people were soon going to turn on him, right? So through this whole time, um, and, and Jesus, Jesus comes back out of that, and they pass that fig tree. They pass that same fig tree that Jesus cursed, and his disciples start mumbling, and they can't believe it. It's withered to nothing. And, and Jesus stops and says, have and I think he's, again, tears probably streaming, and he wants them to realize what, do you guys not realize what I'm talking about? And he, and he uses an opportunity to teach them about mountain-moving faith. He stops right there and tells them that anything you ask for in God's name will be given to you if it's, if it's in order to bring people into his kingdom. It, this is powerful, powerful stuff, right? This is, um, and, he, and I think what is ironic about him using the, uh, the fig tree example is that this was really a comparison between these religious leaders, these uh, experts in the law, all of these people who were, um, they knew the knowledge, they knew what God's word said, but it wasn't changing their lives from the inside. And so really he's, he's basically comparing them to the fig that wasn't, the fruit was not evident in their lives and in their faith. And so the, these chief priests and teachers of the law, they began to try to plot ways to kill Jesus. They, they wanted to kill him and arrest him, but they feared the crowds that were following him, and they were amazed at his teaching. So as they, um, I think what Jesus right now, as he's looking at his disciples and he's telling them about this mountain-moving faith, he wants them to realize they have to have that same mountain-moving faith because what, what they're about to witness at the end of this week is gonna, would drive anyone to run the other way what they're about to witness. And I'm sure that the tears are streaming down his face as he's telling them that. So he comes back into the city, and as he comes back into the city, he's questioned by the chief priest and the teachers of the law about what authority he has to speak uh, from and who gave him that authority. And I love it because Jesus, in Jesus' fashion, he answers their question with a question of his own about uh, John's baptism. And he asks them, did John's baptism, was it of heaven origin or was it of earth origin? And they know, they know they can't answer that question. Um, they know they don't want to answer it because they know Jesus is kind of setting them up because Jesus knows their question was to set him up. Um, and so Jesus answers them when they won't answer. He says, well, then, then I in the same way won't answer your question either about who's given him the authority. He then lays the parable of the tenants on them. And this is where he sets them over the edge. The parable of tenants is, a, is kind of a harder um, parable to, to follow. You have a vineyard owner that sets up the vineyard. He has everything ready. He plants everything, and he gives it to these tenants to manage. And so these tenants are managing this, and he leaves and goes on his way, and he sends a servant to check in, and they kill the servant. 
And then he sends another servant. And the same thing, they beat the servant up and, and leave him for dead. Then he finally sends his own son into the vineyard. And they kill the son to try to steal the inheritance from the son. And the religious leaders are fuming. They realize now that Jesus is comparing them to these tenants, these religious leaders that are missing, they're missing the, the, the blessing that God is and the blessing that Jesus is standing right in front of them, that this is, this is the coming of, of the Savior. So in this, um, these, they're, they're ready to kill him. And, and I think, but what Jesus is trying to tell them is that God's, God's patience has limits. And I think what happens, the reason I'm setting all this up for you is because what happens when we read the Bible out of context or we stop at chapter headings or we just come in and read a chapter here and there, this, this happened from Luke, or Mark chapter 11 through our scripture today. And, and it needs to be read in context because it's building towards this moment today um, that we're getting ready to share about our scripture from today. And, um, and, and so in this, many times those breakups cause us to take stuff out of context and we miss it. But listen to this now. The religious leaders, they want him arrested and killed, but they're fearful. So they send the Pharisees and the Herodians to try to trap him with a question. If you remember the, the question about, that, give me the denarii, um, so should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, whose face is on here? Give to Caesar what's Caesar. Give to God what's God's. And um, the Sadducees come next. The Sadducees come with their traps uh, about marriage in heaven. Well, what happens if I'm married and they die, and then I get married and they die and I get married? In heaven, who am I married to? And, and Jesus, as prepared as always, knows they don't even believe in resurrection. These are the Sadducees. And, so that, and that they're only trying to trap him. So he, again, uh, turns it back on them and uses what they believe to teach them about the resurrection that they're getting ready to witness and in front of their own eyes. So we arrive at today's scripture. So one of these lawyers, we call, they're not a lawyer like we think of today. They're just an expert in the law of Moses. So one of these lawyers, teachers of the law, they're impressed by Jesus' answers. And they ask this question, of all the commandments, what is the most important of all? And we're going to read this uh, together, that like we would like to do during this Core 52 series. So the verse is up here. Um, read along with me. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. There are three things this morning about this scripture that we're gonna, we're gonna focus on. The first is, um, we've already heard it through a lot of this, is that opposition from legalistic religious leaders of the day. Opposition from and of these, um, Jesus had oppos was opposing some of the, what, what they were doing and they had, there was opposition against him from these religious leaders. The second is that the actual heart and goal and uh, the central purpose of God's law in their lives and ours. And then the third is what does it truly mean to love others as yourself? We're gonna focus on those three things this morning and, and why are we commanded? This is the greatest command out of all the commands. This is the greatest one, so Why? Um, so we're going to start with that opposition from the legalistic religious leaders. Th this question that was asked was actually a huge, huge deal to the scribes, uh, the teachers of the law, because there were actually 613 commandments. We know of the 10 commandments, right? The, the big 10. Um, but there's 603 other um, Mosaic commands um, 
that their applications and clarifications of uh, from eating to dressing right to acting right and living right, all of these commands, 603. And um, there was always an area of disagreement among um, all of them. It was always debated by the Pharisees, which of these is really the most important. So what they did is they, they went through and categorized all of these commandments, 248 positive do this commandments, and 365 negative don't do this kind of prohibitions or negative commandments. And Pharisees actually spent a ton of time actually weighing these commands. They had light ones, heavy ones. They had what they considered small ones and and big commandments. And, And then what happened, the idea was that if I just do enough of these good big ones, these heavy ones, I can outweigh these other ones that I that I don't do. Right? And you you see that that creates this sense of legalism, doesn't it? Like, oh well, which one's most important? I'll do that. But I don't want to do this. And that that legalism, they they spent all this time, and, and I, used, I was laughing as I was writing it, thinking about um, this situation back then. Like, oh, I stole a couple extra challah bread from the market today, so, so let, me, uh, let me give a little bit more money here to make up for that, that for stealing something, right? Or, uh, you know what Moses said, you, you shouldn't have any mixed material in your, in your cloak, so um, I really love that, that cloak, I wanted that cloak, but uh, I guess I'll have to, you know, give an extra offering to make up for it, because I really like that um, that mixed flack and wool uh, sweater. Um, but, I, but I, you know, we laugh at that. It just seems silly, right, to weigh out which of these are more important. But don't we do that? Well, this sin's a little bit more of a sin than this one, right? This sin's a little bit worse. So I'll just, I, I keep this one, but I don't do a very good job of this one. It's easy to laugh at them, but, but I think we do that. We, we think of, we, we, we think of um, what do I need to do enough of that God's happy with me, right? We've been there. Like, or we have a rough week and we feel like, man, God's probably really upset with me this week. That, that's legalism. And, and Jesus is saying, no, that's not what the scripture means. That's not what, what, what Moses was talking about. That's not what God was instructing. Um, and we also create rules, which this is where it gets really bad. And this is where um, we really need to check ourselves as a church a lot of times. We put rules on other people. And we expect them to live by something that, they, that we do because we believe this to be God's truth and God's way. We hold other people to that same level when they don't know and have that relationship with God yet. And so that, that's something I think that happens a lot. Um, and, and, and really, I think that what caused it for Jews, what it, what it caused them and for us today, um, was that Really just this idea that we just need to keep the heavy ones. We just need to not do these really bad sins, and then we'll be okay um, with God. But it also did something to the religious leaders. They, the, the, the law and keeping the law and, and doing this, this legalistic kind of approach at it, caused them to really miss their own need for a Savior. Well, I'm pretty good in God's eyes. I've been doing a lot of good stuff, right? I've been doing all these good deeds. I don't really need saved. I don't need a savior. And, they, and it caused them to miss them. And they overlooked their own sinfulness and their need for a savior who's standing right in front of them. And so Jesus' answer, what you guys just read, Jesus' answer was actually from Deuteronomy. It was the Mosaic law that Jews knew very well. It was included in every synagogue service. It was actually the personal home prayers. They would pray that same prayer in the morning and every night as devout Jews. 
It was recited daily. It was also the same prayer that a year before this in Mark 12 in Jesus' ministry, Luke tells a story of, an, of another expert in the law that had come asking him, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I get into heaven? And, and Jesus, of course, as he always does, he spun it back on him. How do you say you inherit eternal life? What does the law say? And the lawyer uses this exact same scripture, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. We'll talk a little bit in just a second about a word that's, that was added by Mark. Um, so Jesus tells him that you're correct in that. That's exactly how you inherit eternal life. And he goes a step further and teaches him the story of the Good Samaritan, which we'll come back to as well. But, but this lawyer really wants to know what is the greatest command. And, and I'm not convinced he already doesn't know the answer, just like the previous lawyer. They, they knew the answer but only as this imposed obligation on them. If I do this, then God will be happy with me. If I do enough, God will be happy with me. But Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The scripture goes on in Deuteronomy 6 to tell God's followers, these commandments are to be on their hearts. Impress them on your children. Our children are here with us today. Talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road. And it doesn't end there. Deuteronomy 6 tells them to tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So do you know what the rabbis did? They bound them literally in phylacteries, leather black boxes, on their foreheads to practice and to memorize the scripture daily so they wouldn't miss it. They also, Jews had mezuzahs, which are like decorative casings that had parchment inside of all their daily prayers. The, this scripture was everywhere. The scripture was everywhere. And it, it, it literally, I, I just think what, what is ironic to me is that um, Jesus is probably holding back tears again as he's saying, you're so right. You're so right. But at the same time, he probably wants to shake him and scream, but you're missing the purpose it's not about reciting them. Are they changing your life? Are they changing your heart? Are they changing the way you think, the way you feel? Are you asking God what's his will for your life? Or, or are you just memorizing empty words? So that leads us into the part two, the heart, goal, and central purpose of God's word. These commands are actually about God's holiness, not ours, because as soon as we've broken one of those 613 commandments, it's as if we broke them all, right? And the only one that is worthy or holy was Jesus, who was able to keep all of them. And in knowing that, God's instruction isn't just a list of rules that we have to follow so he might be happy with us. Could you imagine? I don't want to live that way, but a lot of people do. They, we think that God is happy or, or mad with us based on the, the choices we make daily, Right? Instead of this scripture is about God's holiness. It's about God's holiness and it's about what um, to show us the need for a savior, Jesus. And it's also to show the very heart, the very goal, the very purpose of God's word and our own purpose as God's chosen people. This command was there in our guiding light here on earth. But it's also the foundation that of everything we do as believers and followers of God. Jesus is clear, and he quotes Moses, who God gave this command. And they, this was, they had a name. They called it the Shema. And the Shema, every single person knew, and even Jesus himself, as a devout Jew, would have recited this prayer all the time, especially this holy week that we're coming up to now. 
Can you imagine how many times he prayed this prayer? God, help me to do this. Help me to love you with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. And help me to love others. Because he had a lot of people that I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be able to show the same love to that he did through this last week of his life. Mark Moore added this in his Gospels, that, and I love this, that in the book of Mark, Mark actually added the word mind. Did you catch that? Deuteronomy didn't have mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might or strength. Mark added, I would have never caught it. Mark is writing his, his Gospel. He's writing it to Greeks. Greeks actually separated their, into their beings into the breathing being and the thinking being. So Mark wants to make sure that these Greeks understand when, Jesus, when, when God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, he adds the word mind because he doesn't want them to miss it. You have to love God with everything you've got. We don't separate out parts of us and we can, you know, I can love him really good with this, but I don't love him very good with this or I don't show it here. He's saying, making sure they, that they understand that it's everything you've got and that it's not a feeling or an emotion, right? We use that, we throw that word love, I love pizza, right? We throw that word around, I love, you, you, you name it. We throw it around as an emotion or a feeling. But in Hebrew, it's, it's really neat. The, the word listen or hear doesn't just mean let the sound come in, your ear. There was no distinction between um, the application, hearing and doing. So when he said, let it, let it in, hear, O Israel, hear it. And let it change your life. Let it sink into the core of everything that you are and let it change how you live your life. And, and then it should generate a response from us because of that. So hearing and doing are the same thing. It's about action. You love someone by being faithful and loyal. That's how you love someone. You're faithfully obedient, not out of obligation. As many of these Jews, it, beca it became, I'm gonna do this because God says I should do it. Right? They missed the central purpose that it should be life-changing and it should change the way they live and change the way they love. So we, we need to make sure that we are absorbing all that God speaks to us. Jesus himself let this sink in. Jesus read this and let this sink into his life every day, morning and night. And especially, I'm sure, with tears streaming down his face, he prayed this prayer throughout this week. So, it tells us, love the God with all your heart. That's the center of your emotion, the center of your feeling. Love God with your soul. That's the center of the center rod of your energy and your will and what you do and, and what you do with your life and the passions that you have. We, we're, we're to love God with that. And love God with your mind, the center of all thought, the center of all wisdom. We're supposed to love God with all that. And then love God with all your strength. And I don't know about you, but I always think the physical when I hear strength, and it is the physical, but it's everything physical from my relationships, my relationally. It's my resources, what God has blessed me with. I'm supposed to love God with all of that. It's everything we've got. And I think this helped me more than anything. We have our elementary kids out here, and I wanted them out here because this illustration that you're going to see in a second, for you guys that, um, that have kids or that had kids, um, maybe... Um, if, and if you don't, you guys can think about when you were a kid. Think about um, why our kids obey us. Why did you obey your parents as a kid? I believe there's two parts. And, and both of these two parts, you can't separate them. There's a love and, and there's a fear. Am I right? There, there's a love that says, I know how much my parents love me, care for me, want to protect me, and want to keep me from harm. If I, if I have that, um, 
and they also fear disappointing us or they fear um, the consequences of what happens if they don't, if they understand it, then they'll truly obey. But if you take one of those two out of the equation, if, if I fear my parents, but I don't know they love me, I'm going to rebel. Um, I'm never going to truly understand why I just fear them, right? But what about the other side? If I just love the time out of my kids, but they don't understand that there's consequences when they don't do these things, or that there's a, there's a negative consequence, whether, I want, whether it's from me or whether it's just natural, from doing it, if they don't understand that, then they're going to rebel the same way. So you can't take the, the fear and the love out. They're mutually the same. And kids understand this, right? I think kids, and, and, and I, I'll say this, think about as a kid and maybe even now or whenever, when someone tells me to do something and I don't understand why, I'm either not going to do it or I'm going to do it, but my heart isn't in it. Does that make sense? I'm going to do it, but I don't really want to do it and I don't care. I'm not going to give it my all. This is the point Jesus is making, right? This is the point that it is, a, it is not about legalism. It is about giving my all, loving God with my all, every part of me. And in doing that, uh, there's no room for legalism because it's not about me then. It's about God. It's about loving him, not trying to keep a list of rules so that I can be okay in his eyes. So how do I love a God who isn't standing right next to me, that I can't send a thank you letter or a gift to, who I can't, um, who really doesn't even have a need in this entire world? How do I love that God like I'm supposed to? How do I love him with all my heart? And, and it's, if, it says, if the emotion that I feel for God, that emotion, that love that I have for him, doesn't translate into effort or energy um, for me to figure out what's God's purpose, what's my purpose, What's his purpose for me? If it doesn't translate, then I love Mark Moore says that I might have a deficiency with my um, an deficiency with my affection for him. If if I don't fully let that change the energy that I exert on a daily basis, if I study God's word and I read it daily, but I don't allow it to transform my mind or change the way I live on a daily basis, there's a deficiency with my loyalty to him. If I'm, even if I'm attending church and Bible studies and every event that regularly, but I'm not living um, and I'm not having any influence outside these four walls, if I don't let that change who I am, then really I have a deficiency with my soul's energy, right? My soul, that energy part and the will part. I'm still living for my will when I leave this place. I'm just coming and making it look good when I'm here. And, and so he says that there's a deficiency there in my will. And then I think about the last part, is the deficiency in my strength. If I am not willing to suffer, if I'm not willing to, um, whatever that suffering level is, Jesus took the ultimate suffering away. But if I'm not willing to share in the cup of suffering with him, Jesus says, there's no place to lead. There's no place to be in, with me if you're not willing to suffer with me as well. And, and so then there's a deficiency in my strength as well. So what does Jesus say? How do we do this? He says, we love others. That seems pretty easy. I can do that, right? I can love others. I may not be, I may not be very good at the rest of those that following the commands or, or um, studying the Bible as much as I should or praying to him as much as I should or letting him transform my mind and, and my actions every day, but I can love others. And, and that is this third step. He says we love others. We, we talked about our kids earlier, and I saw this image. Actually, Deb Woodward shared it, and several other people on Facebook um, was an image. And if you saw it, it had several little uh, brass or bronze 
statues of bunnies. And if you saw, there are all these bunnies up on a ledge, and there's a little bunny that has fallen. It can't make it up. And it shows a little toddler that walks over and has no idea. All he knows is this little bunny needs help, and he's trying to pick this bunny up, little tiny toddler, to help him up on this ledge. And I thought, doesn't, doesn't that tell you that kids don't need us? We need them more than they need us. That's, that's what we have to shape. Give, give a kid a cause. They will be the biggest activist you've ever seen. Give them a cause. Give them something. But it's our job to help teach them and to show them that let their causes be from God's word. right? Let their causes be from what the word of God says about about life, about living, because even though this was written years ago, it's a living word. It doesn't just stop now. It's alive in our lives too today. So, but, but I just love that image. Kids understand how to love others. And if they don't, they haven't been shown it or they've been shown the, it the wrong way. Because that shows that just the heart of that, I'm going to help this money get up on this ledge. And, and I think this, uh, the command tells us that we can't love God without loving our neighbor. So let's rewind back just for a quick second to that Luke 10 I told you about. Luke 10 was the first time the religious leader asked about, how do I get into the kingdom of heaven? And I told you that after Jesus flips it around, the, the, the lawyer basically answers the question for him. And Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus tells him, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, who's my neighbor? Right? If we go on in Luke 10, the, the, the religious leader says, who's my neighbor? You know what he's really asking? Who's who's close enough to me that I'm obligated to love, right? Who, who is it that I can just love, show enough love that God's going to be happy with me again? We're back to that legalism, right? The question wasn't, and, I, and I'm sure, again, Jesus is holding back tears when he, as he's saying, it's not who's your neighbor. It's are you neighborly, right? It's not who's your neighbor. It's who are you, who are you being neighborly to? And he really is just trying to justify his own deficiencies, that he really isn't loving his neighbor well. And, and I love that Jesus goes on um, Jesus goes on to tell him it's not about an obligation. Let me ask, and Jesus, as he always does, let me tell you a story. And he tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the story? Man's beaten and robbed, left for dead. Priest comes by, chief priest comes by, sees him, crosses the road, leaves him by himself. Uh, then the Levite comes by, sees him injured, crosses the road, goes to the other side. And then a good Samaritan. Do you realize that good, good Samaritan, that would have been an oxymoron. There is no good Samaritan in their minds. They, there was mutual kind of animosity and hate towards each other. So just for Jesus to even say that would have kind of been shocking. And then the good Samaritan comes by. And what does a good Samaritan do? Dresses his wounds, puts him up on his own animal, takes him to the inn, pays for him, stays with him, and in the morning he's going to leave and he leaves him there to heal and he says, hey, I'm gonna come back and if there's any debt left to pay, I'll square it up when I come back. And then Jesus asks the lawyer, who was neighborly? Who was neighborly? It's not who's your neighbor, who was neighborly? They had an opportunity and this, he instantly knows the one who helped the man that was in need. And, and I think that's the point that Jesus is making. Who is helping the people that God puts in front of you. So how can we, I, I just love this question, how can we love those that God puts in front of us? It's, it's not who is it imperative that I love, it's who am I loving? That's the question. That, that takes it away from a legalism side. It's not who can I love, show enough love to that I'm good, but who am I loving continually? 
Um, in the video, I, if you, if, I, I really recommend you take a chance to listen to Mark Moore's video for this week online. Um, but I love this. Mark Moore says, Jesus basically says, okay, your neighbor is your 18-inch circle around you. He gives him that. But he says, but that 18-inch circle goes with you every single where you go, every place you go. So that's your neighbor. So it's, it's almost like I'll concede that, yeah, who's my neighbor? We, we, can, we can debate that one, but here's what we can't debate. Every step you go, I'm, God is going to bring people into your path, and who are you loving? Who are you loving? And I love this part of it. It's not just those who are like us, who look like us, who are socially like us, who are economically like us, who are culturally like us, but who are, who's surrounding you? Who are you with on a daily basis? Who's around you when you go, when you leave? Um, how are you showing the loyalty to God by loving others? And I'll say this is something that Sherwood Oaks as a whole does really, really well. And it's something that the Westside Community Church um, also does really well. We understand that our love for God uh, has to carry over into how we love others and how we love the people in our community. What we, uh, what we will be able to do outside of the four walls of this church. And, and all the planning and the discussions we're talking about with the new property and the possible building, I've never once not heard people say, how are we going to use this church to actually impact the community on the west side of Bloomington? That has to be the key. Jesus says it. The greatest commandment is love God with everything you have, but love others as yourself. And you can't separate the two. And I, and I think we, I, I have loved to, to watch even, um, and, and if our focus ever leaves that, if it ever turns to what, what, how the, if we, what kind of church are we going to build, what kind of th- this are we going to have, oh, I want this, I want that, and I'd love to see this, then we lose the central purpose and we become no better than the legalism that happened of the day. We want our church to be the church, not be a church, be the church. And, and I think it's important, and I think, as I said, Westside Community Church understands that it's what we do outside the four walls that really matter. That, that matter to us as, in leadership as well. And, and I think um, it's exactly what, the, what Jesus was telling the religious leaders. Check yourself. Check yourself. Are you loving God with everything, your complete self, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? And where is there an opportunity for you to be neighborly? I love watching our outreach team um, planning events to try to bless our community on the west side. I love watching our servant heart team and our prayer team kind of coincide. They partner together. Anytime there's any need that kind of gets brought up instantly, guys, before I even can reach out to, to that team to say, hey, did you hear about this need, this prayer? They got, already got it, already called, already taken care of it. And, and, and I'm blown away constantly by that, that as soon as there's a need, a prayer, that that servant heart team um, is on it. And, and if, you, if that's something is in your heart, we have a, um, there's a pink strip of paper as a sign-up sheet in the back that talks about our servant heart team, all areas of ways we can just truly serve the community and serve others and uh, with, with ways that God's blessed us. Um, so I really recommend um, just checking that out. You can hit up um, Chris or Greg, and they can uh, help you get on, on one of those teams as well. But... Um, I just love, and I'm so encouraged by uh, watching them live this out. How can we love those around us? Our hospitality team. I mean, the way that they prepare breakfast, the way they do funeral dinners. It's, it's all about when someone walks in that door, we want to make sure that we prepared for you. We prepared for all that you went through on your way here. And no one understands, that, I don't think, better than you guys, that this loving others. So, to, there's three questions as we kind of ra- start to wrap up today that, that I think we should all ask ourselves. 
what does it look like for me to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength? And is there a part of my heart or a part, an area of my life that I'm not being loyal to God by giving it to him? And then how can I be neighborly by Jesus' definition? And who is someone that I might find it difficult to love? As I was thinking about communion time this morning, I just kept thinking about this week. And you heard me allude to it several times about Jesus with tears streaming down his face. We call this week Holy Week. Um, those tears that I've talked about, I think uh, it reminds me of what's coming up in a couple days uh, in the timeline of Holy Week. And that is Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is praying. He's not just praying. Luke, also a physician, Luke tells us the, the reality that Jesus was praying so fervently that when the sweat beads were, were hitting the ground, there were droplets of blood in the sweat beads. Really is a, is a, um, a condition that could happen. Um, the anguish that he's feeling, he's praying, he's praying for his disciples. And, and I, think about, um, I think about this, those tears as they're falling down points to that Jesus knows as he's praying, he's asking God, please, God, take this cup of suffering away from me that's coming. But he follows that with God, but your will be done. That's soul. Loving God with all your soul, your effort, your energy rod, your, your purpose. Not my will, but yours. And then I, I also think about as he goes to check on his disciples after he's gotten up from that prayer and they're sleeping and he's crying and I, wake up. I don't want you to fall into this temptation because it's going to come. He knows what's coming. That's heart. That's loving God with all your heart and loving others that way. Luke twenty two forty four, 44, um, as it talks about Jesus, um, that sweat and that blood mixing as he's praying so fervently and crying out, that's with all your strength. And having the mind as they come to arrest him, and the disciples are ready to go to battle right now. They're ready to have their final stand. And the disciple pulls out the sword, cuts off the chief priest's ear, and Jesus has the love of God in the mind to say, stop. Puts, he performs that, final, that miracle of, one of the close to final miracles, of putting the ear back on. And then tells them, this is God's plan. That's loving God with all your mind. And, and loving your neighbor and your enemy even as yourself. And, and this is the example that we should all live our lives after. And so as we prepare right now to get ready to prepare our hearts for communion, I just, I just want to ask that we um, are able to um, let our focus be not on what we need to do to make God happy. But what did God command? To love him with everything you've got. He's holiness. It's not about me trying to earn my holiness this is what we celebrate today is that Jesus died for us on that cross. He took all that sin with him onto that cross. And so if, if you haven't um, decided or made, made Jesus the center of your life and your heart, um, I, I pray that today's that day. You can come forward as we're singing. There, there's some prayer benches. Someone will pray with you. Um, but, but just let, be, let today be that day that, um, that you understand the feeling, that, it, that the, the peace, the freedom that happens when we don't live our lives out of obligation for loving God. It's not why I do it. That's not why I uh, gave up teaching and chose to, to give my life into ministry. It was because I didn't feel that I was given my whole heart. That's not everybody's story. But, but let today be that day. And if you, if you have already accepted Jesus as your Savior and you um, are living for him, I just pray that you trust what he did is enough and you're enough. 
You just let God, let your love for God change your life and love others the way he commanded us to do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for what this week uh, means to us. God, it means to the world. Um, God, that, that, that your salvation is for everyone. Uh, God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where we've come from, what we've done, where we've been. Uh, God, it just matters that, uh, that we love you with everything we have and we love others the same. God, I just pray this morning that in this week as we come up on Holy Week, God, we focus on, on that. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.